Okay. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters. Welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. We're almost done with the book of Genesis. I think we have two sessions left of Genesis before we proceed to the book of Exodus and onward to the book of Revelation. Right? But before we go ahead and proceed to our Bible study for tonight, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and loving Father in heaven, yes. thank you so much, gracious God, because you maintain our life and give us our strength. Thank you for the gift of faith and knowledge. Thank you for blessing us with your enduring love. And so this evening we proclaim praise to your highest name. Be with us, please, as we study your holy words. Enlighten our minds and bless our spirits. Help us to be one with you in all things that we may carry out your objectives for our life. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you as well. Yes. Increase our faith and be with us yes. in our assembly today. Amen. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, last week we left off with the good news that Jacob received, that his son Joseph was still alive however he was still not yet able to see joseph face to face that must be something right can you imagine all of this time thinking your son your favorite son has died and all of a sudden to realize not only is he alive he is the second in command in all of egypt so for him it was too good to be true but eventually he became a believer and so he set out to go to egypt to see face to face Finally, and at last, his beloved son. And so before he proceeds to Egypt, before he enters Egypt itself, what does he do first? Let's read Genesis 46, verse 1. So Jacob set out for Egypt with all his possessions. And when he came to Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. How many here remember Beersheba? That is the place where Abraham and Isaac built altars for who? Our almighty God. So on his way to Egypt, before he entered that place, he thought for a while. Because his grandfather, Abraham, went to Egypt and got into a lot of trouble. He wasn't supposed to go to Egypt. When Isaac, his father, wanted to go back to Egypt, he, God so, uh, told him, do not go to Egypt. So here's Jacob. He wants to go back to Egypt because he wants to see his son. He wants to make sure. So he goes to Beersheba, offers a sacrifice to God to inquire of God's will. We need to do that in our life. Do not just jump doing this and doing that. We need to pause and ask for God's guidance. Father, is this your will? Send me a sign. I'm inquiring from you concerning what I need to do. So he offers a sacrifice to God, expecting to hear from him, is going to Egypt, your will. And so what was the response of the father? Genesis 46, verse 2, during the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he, he called, here I am, Jacob replied. And so God listens to his prayer. He accepts the sacrifice of Jacob, and God appears to him, saying to him, Jacob, Jacob. What was his famous reply? He said, here I am. You know that phrase, that reply, here I am, is a famous reply. Who are examples of those who gave that reply, here I am. In the next slide, famous here I am's, Abraham also gave that reply when he was inquiring about Isaac. Moses also made that reply. Samuel, the prophet, the one who started the school of prophets, also gave that reply. The famous Isaiah also gave that reply. Also Ananias, the Lord sent Ananias to Saul, if you remember, that Saul might receive his sight. Remember, Saul here would be the one to become apostle Paul. So here are the famous I am's, or here I am in response to our almighty God. Now, why do we bring that up? Because as people of God, when we ask God's guidance and God's help, what we want, next slide, is to always be alert and available. When these people of God reply to God and said to him, here I am, it's an indication that they are alert to God's will 
and they are available for God's use. We're the very small remnant. There's not many of us. We're small in number. This is why each one of us should be used by God so that the ministry, the church, can be built up. However, we can only be used by God if we are alert and if we are available. Always be sensitive to God working in our life. There was a brother today before we started our Bible study, and he was amazed because all of these people from the, uh, the institution all of a sudden become, became available to him. They were approaching him, and he asked himself, what could this mean? It means something. There's no such thing as a coincidence. Why is God bringing you to these people? It could be God is using you to call them, right? This is why we have to be alert. And when we are alert, we find out God's will. We have to be available. <coughs> we have to do what God wants us to do. So Jacob was available. He inquired for God's help and guidance. And God says to him, Jacob, Jacob. And what else does God tell him to do? Genesis 46, 3 down to 4. I am God, the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt, and I will bring you back again. But you will die in Egypt with Joseph attending to you. So what was the response of God to Jacob's inquiry? Is it good for me to go to Egypt, Lord? God said to him, don't be afraid to go to Egypt, because I will make your family into a great nation. Now he knows God's will. Go to Egypt. And so what does he set out to do? Genesis 46, 5 to 7. So Jacob left Beersheba and his sons uh, took him to Egypt. They carried him and their little ones and their wives and the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all the personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Canaan. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt. Sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters, all his descendants. Why? He was going to settle in Egypt. He was going to die in Egypt. So he's bringing everything with him to go to Egypt. After all, God made a wonderful promise. I will make you into a mighty nation beginning with your family. And so he brings all of his descendants with him. Sons, grandsons, daughters, granddaughters. How many? Did um, Jacob bring along with him? Let's read Genesis 46, 26 to 27. The total number of Jacob's direct descendants who went with him to Egypt, not counting his son's wives, was 66. In addition, Joseph had two sons who were born in Egypt. So altogether, there were 70 members of Jacob's family in the land of Egypt. How many? would represent Israel in Egypt, 70. With 70, God is going to build a mighty nation. 70 was the remnant of all the descendants of Abraham. Take note, there were many, many more descendants, but God chose this 70, a small remnant and planted in Egypt. And from Egypt, it would grow to become a mighty nation. The remnant, 70, that's what God will use. That's why do not be surprised if we are just small in number. God uses, can use us nonetheless if we are alert, if we are available for our almighty God. And so when they finally go to Egypt and he's going to meet uh, Jacob, I mean, Jacob is going to meet Joseph, uh, where do they plan to meet together? Let's read Genesis 46, 28 to 29. As they neared their destination, Jacob sent Judah ahead to meet Joseph and, set and get directions to the region of Goshen. And when they finally arrived there, Joseph prepared his chariot and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. So the meeting place is a place in Goshen. That's, where going to, that's the place where they are going to finally meet face-to-face, -face, Joseph and Jacob. And so when they finally arrive in Goshen, what happens there? Genesis 46, 29 to 30, Joseph prepared his chariot 
and traveled to Goshen to meet his father, Jacob. When Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. That must have been a very moving and touching scene, right? Here you are in your old age, after many years of waiting, thinking that your son had already died, you're going to see your beloved son. And so he wept, holding Joseph for a long, long time. And he said to him, now I am ready to die. So that's a pretty happy ending for Jacob, right? He had a rough life. I'm glad there was a happy ending for this patriarch. Now, what was Joseph planning to do with his family? Genesis 46, 31 to 32. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's entire family, I will go to Pharaoh and tell him my brothers and my father's entire family have come to me from the land of Canaan. These men are shepherds and they raise livestock. They have brought with them their own flocks and herds and everything they own. And so what was the plan of Joseph? He wants to go to Pharaoh, introduce his family to Pharaoh and tell them that they are shepherds. Why? What does Joseph want to happen? 46, 33 to 34. Then he said, when Pharaoh calls for you and asks you about your occupation, you must tell him, we, your servants, have raised livestock all of our lives, as our ancestors have always done. When you tell him this, he will let you live here in the region of Goshen, for the Egyptians despise shepherds. Somehow Goshen was from a place that it was secluded, and so they were going to go to this region of Goshen, which is also known as the region of the Ramses. We'll find out more about that later on. And so this is the plan of Joseph, that they will have Goshen for themselves, to raise up the people of God, the people of Israel. And so now they go to meet Pharaoh. What does Joseph say to him? Genesis 47, or chapter 47, look at that. 47 in the verses 1. Then Joseph went to see Pharaoh and told him, My father and my brothers have arrived from the land of Canaan. They have come with all their flocks and herds and possessions, and they are now in the region of Goshen. So Joseph introduces his father and his brothers. He tells him, the Pharaoh, that his family is here all the way from Canaan. Who gets to chat first with the Pharaoh? Genesis 47, 2 down to 4. Uh, Joseph took five of his brothers with him and presented them to Pharaoh, who are the five? Who are the five? I don't know. <laughs> and Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? They replied, we, we, your servants, are shepherds, just like our ancestors. We have come to live here in Egypt for a while, for there is no pasture for our flocks in Canaan. The famine is very severe there. So please, we request permission to live in the region of Goshen. And so when the brothers speak with the Pharaoh, they were asked what their occupations were. They said they were shepherds and they made a request. According to Joseph's plan, they want to, to stay in the region of Goshen. So what does Pharaoh say about that suggestion or that request? Genesis 47, 5 to 6. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, now that your father and brothers have joined you here, choose any place in the entire land of Egypt for them to live. Give them the best land of Egypt. Let them live in the region of Goshen. And if any of them have special skills, put them in charge of my livestock too. So the plan is finally being fulfilled, right? I mean, Jacob and his sons, they have gone a long way considering how they all started a dysfunctional family. All of a sudden, everything's kind of falling into place according to God's plan. And so they're going to be given the best land, the region of Goshen. And so when Pharaoh introduces his father, Jacob, or when Joseph introduces his father, Jacob, to Pharaoh, uh, what 
happens next. Genesis 47, 7 to 8, Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. How old are you? Pharaoh asked him. And so here's Jacob face to face with Pharaoh. And what does he do? Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What does it mean to bless someone? To love someone? To send love towards someone? To encourage someone? To speak good things about someone? See, so here's Jacob. He blesses Pharaoh. He prays for Pharaoh. And he asks him, how old are you? He probably looks really old. Sometimes when you have a lot of problems in life, it makes you look older than what you seem or what you should be looking like, right? So how old are you? Pharaoh asked him. What was the answer? Genesis 47, 9 to 10. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for a lot. 130 hard years. But my life has been short compared to the lives of my ancestors. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again before leaving his court. So he says he's 130 years old. And after he said that, what did he do again? He blessed Pharaoh. And so Jacob, a man of God, has this habit of blessing people, which is why I just want to take this short time to tell you, as people of God, we should be the same way. What's the opposite of blessing someone? What's the opposite of blessing someone? What is it? <laughs> no, the opposite of blessing someone. The opposite is what? Cursing, right? Instead of cursing someone, we should bless someone. Instead of discouraging, what should we do? Encourage as people of God. What should we what should be seen in our attitude and in our behavior when we interact with our fellow human beings? Matthew 5 44 45. Christ says, But I say to you, so this is during the Christian era, it applies to all of us. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. You see, the true people of God, true sons of God, they don't curse. What do they do? They bless. Who do they bless? Only those who bless them back. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. They are able to bless even those who? curse them. In other words, they don't retaliate. They return with a blessing. That's how we prove that we are sons and daughters of our almighty God. Jacob was like that. He blessed Pharaoh. We also be, we need to be like that, become like Christ and bless even those who hate us. And so after receiving the blessing of Pharaoh, choose whatever land you want, where does Joseph assign his family to? Genesis 47, 11 and 12. So Joseph assigned the best land of Egypt, the region of Ramses. This is also the region of what? Goshen, right? Same place. Region of Ramses, Goshen, to his father and his brothers, and he settled them there, just as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided food for his father and his brothers in amounts appropriate to the number of their descendants, including the smallest children. And so Joseph assigned the place that he planned to give his family all along, the region of Ramses. And there, what did Joseph provide? Food for his father, his brothers, including all of their dependents, even the smallest children. And while this was happening, what was the famine doing throughout the different regions of Egypt? Let's turn to Genesis 47, 13 to 15. Meanwhile, while all that was happening, right, the famine became so severe that all the food was used up and people were starving throughout the lands of Egypt and Canaan. By selling grain to the people, Joseph eventually collected all the money in Egypt and Canaan and he put the money in Pharaoh's treasury. When the people of Egypt and Canaan ran out of money, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. Our money is gone. They cried, but please give us food or we will die before your very eye. So the famine became more and more severe. And so what did Joseph decide to do? He sold grain 
to the people of Egypt and Canaan. And so he received money, and in return, in exchange, he gives them food. Money for food. It's a fair deal, right? But eventually, what happened to their money? They ran out of money, but they still have no food. And so what was given in exchange for food? Let's read Genesis 47, 16 and 17. Joseph replied, since your money is gone, bring me your livestock. I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. So they brought their livestock to Joseph in exchange for food, in exchange for their horses, flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle and donkeys. Joseph provided them with food for another year. So far, so good, right? But this, the famine kept coming. After all, it's supposed to last how many years? Seven. And so eventually, they would run out of what? Livestock. First, they ran out of money. Next, they ran out of livestock. And so what did the people of Egypt recommend for Joseph to do? Genesis 47, 18 to 19. Uh, but that year ended, and the next year they, they came again and said, We cannot hide the truth from you, my Lord. Our money is gone, and all of our livestock and cattle are yours. We have nothing left to give but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your very eyes? Buy us, buy us and our land in exchange for food. We offer our land and ourselves as slaves for Pharaoh. Just give us grain so we may live and not die. And so the land does not become empty and desolate. So what do the people propose Joseph after they ran out of money, ran out of livestock to sell or to give in exchange for food? What do they say? What was their proposal? I want, we want to give you our bodies. We will become your slave. You want to give you our land. You will own our property. And so what does Joseph say to this proposition? What does he do? Genesis 47, 20 to 21. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. All the Egyptians sold him their fields because of the famine, because the famine was so severe. And all the land belonged to Pharaoh. As for the people, he made them all slaves from one end of Egypt to the other. And so Joseph bought all the land, and the people of the land became the slaves of Pharaoh. Except for who? Except for what land? Let's read Genesis 47, verse 22. The only land he did not buy was the land belonging to the priests. They received an allotment of food directly from Pharaoh, so they didn't need to sell their land. So there were special privileges for the priests. Their land was not included. Now, you might be thinking and saying to yourself, why is Joseph such a hard man, right? I mean, he had all this food. Why couldn't he just give the food to the people, right? Would you have done that? Just give the food to the people? Probably I would have. Maybe some of you would have. But Joseph, he didn't. He said, okay, give me money. I'll give you food. They ran out of money. Livestock, food. They ran out of livestock. What did they, what did they have to offer next? Land and themselves, right? Joseph agreed to that. You know why Joseph agreed to that? I want you to remember this principle. When you give someone something for free, it will only ruin their character. Okay? You believe that? When you give something, when you give someone something free, you will ruin their character. What would become of them? They will learn to become lazy and learn to rely on you. This is why the Bible tells us to be careful. There's a principle that was being lived out, being practiced by Joseph, that was also being implemented by the Apostle Paul. What was that? Let's read 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 12. Even while we were still there with you, we gave you this rule. He who does not work shall not eat. Yet we, should, yet we hear that some of you are living in laziness. 
refusing to work and wasting your time and gossiping. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. We command them to quiet down, get to work and earn their own living. What principle must we apply in our life? The principle that says if a person refuses to work, he should not eat. And so here were people who were starving. Joseph had the means to feed them. But instead of just feeding them, what did Joseph want to do? He wanted to give them a means by which they can live. This is why there's a saying, if you give a hungry man a fish, he eats for one day. But if you teach him how to fish, he eats for the rest of his life. And so what does Joseph decide to do? Genesis 47, 23 to 24. Then Joseph said to the people, look, today I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. I will provide you with seed so you can plant the fields. Then when you harvest it, one-fifth of your crop will belong to Pharaoh. You may keep the remaining four-fifths as seed for your fields and as food for you, your household, and your little ones. And Joseph, so what does Joseph do? Instead of giving everyone free food, which would have become chaotic, what did he do in an orderly way? He said, okay. You sold yourselves to me. You sold the land to me. This is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you seeds. Plant your own food. Eat your own grain. Eat your own food. But you're going to give one-fifth of your crop to who? Pharaoh. That's what you call what? Tax, right? Tax. That's 20% tax. <laughs> that's a lot of tax. But how did the people feel? Let's read Genesis 47, 25 to 26. You have saved our lives. Were the people happy or were they complaining? They were happy. You have saved our lives. They exclaimed, may it please you, my Lord, to let us be Pharaoh's servants. We want to be Pharaoh's servants. Joseph then issued a decree still in effect in the land of Egypt that Pharaoh should receive one-fifth of all the crops grown on his land. Only the land belonging to the priest was not given to Pharaoh. So everyone lives happily ever after, right? Because of Joseph and his wisdom that came from our almighty God. However, what, what happened to the people of Israel? Jacob's descendants there in Goshen. Genesis 47, 27. Meanwhile, the people of Israel settled in the region of Goshen in Egypt. There they acquired property and they were fruitful. And their population grew rapidly. Did God fulfill his promise? Yes. He started out with how many? 70. With the 70, he would eventually multiply that into how many? We'll find out in the book of Exodus. Okay? We'll have to wait until the next chapter, the next book of the Holy Bible. So how long do you think Jacob resided in Egypt after he saw his son, Joseph, be the man, become the man who would lead the entire Egypt out of a famine. How, how many years did he stay with Joseph there in Egypt? Next slide, please. Genesis 47, 28. Jacob lived for 17 years after his arrival in Egypt. So he lived 147 years in all. That's a, a nice reward, right? I mean, Jacob has been through a lot. A lot. I mean, a lot of it is because of his own doing, because of his deception. He had to uh, reap a lot of what he sowed. But in the end, he stuck it out, and God blessed him 17 years living under the welfare or under the help of his own son, Joseph. And so he lived the rest of his, of his life in prosperity. However, he did have one request. He had a request for Joseph. What was that? Genesis 47, 29 to 31. We are now at the end of Genesis 47. Okay. As the time of his death drew near, Jacob called for his son Joseph and said to him, Please do me this favor. Put your hand under my thigh and swear that you will treat me with unfailing love by honoring this last request. Do not bury me in. Egypt, when I die, please take my body out of Egypt and bury me with my ancestors. So Joseph promised 
I will do as you ask. Swear that you will do it. Jacob insisted. So Joseph gave his oath and Jacob bowed humbly at the head of his bed. What was the final request of Jacob? But after he dies, he is to be buried, not in Egypt, but where his ancestors were buried. Where was that again? In Machpelah, right? So that's where he wants to be buried. This was the wish of Jacob. And Joseph, of course, humbly accepted his oath that this is what he is going to do in the event Jacob does finally pass away. So that's the story of Israel or Jacob in Egypt, right? Now, before we go ahead and wrap things up, we're almost done. I just want to, you know, when these events in the Bible are written down for us to consume and to learn from, there are many people who say, oh, these are fictional stories, right? It never actually happened. And so what are some of the evidences outside of the Bible, okay, that show and prove that these events, for example, Israel in Egypt actually took place. Evidence for the famine in Egypt actually took place. Go to the next slide. Uh, there was a discovery not too long ago on Sahel Island at Aswan in Egypt. This is in Egypt. There's an amazing collection of over 250 rock inscriptions that were carved by priests that tell stories of the long history of the region. The most famous inscription on the island is known as the Famine Stella. It is a huge boulder. So we are looking at extra biblical sources or we are looking at sources outside of the Bible that corroborate the facts and the events mentioned in the Holy Scriptures. One is called the Famine Stella. It is a rock inscription. In other words, it's a huge boulder that has letters on it. And what is the Famine Stella? Next slide. This is how it looks like. You can go there. It tells of a story. What is this story about? What does the inscription on this huge boulder uh, speak of? Next slide. The inscription states seven meager years and seven rich years. It speaks of the seven years of plenty as well as the following seven years of famine. So this is what is mentioned in that rock. Not only that, they've also found the following um, following carvings. Uh, next slide, please. There is a carving in Saqqara, a place in Egypt, showing starving people, their ribs prominently outlined, and also, they also show depictions of sacks of grain being carried up steps in the circular silo vaults. So this is in agreement with the biblical description. This is how it looks like. Next slide. You know how the people of Egypt, they like to record their history. And the Egyptians always want to portray their history as a glorious one. But for some reason, the seven years of famine, it was a very prominent part of Egypt's history. And so they had it written down in various ways and in various places. However, one of the questions a lot of people ask is, if it's true that Israel actually did live in Egypt, if the nation of Israel was in Egypt, they were in Egypt, there should be archaeological evidence, right? Was there? Well, first of all, where did uh, the people of Israel reside? Uh, in Genesis 47, 11 and 12, like we mentioned to you, they were dwelling in the region of Ramses. That is where they grew, right? That is where God blessed them, and they prospered there in the region of Ramses. And so next slide, they found Goshen, Ram, the region of Ramses, there in Tel Daba Avaris. But when they found this place, they could not find any evidence of Hebraic people or Semites living there. They couldn't find any. But they did found the place of Ramses. Until someone suggested, why don't you dig deeper? So when they dug this up, they found the region of Ramses. But when someone suggested dig deeper, what did they find? Next slide. And so underneath the region of Ramses was a city. It's called Avaris. They have no idea what that means. There's a lot of speculation that it is, it, its name means Joseph, but uh, we, we're not going to go there today. 
but Avaris. They discovered underneath the region of Ramses. You know what they found there in Avaris? One of the things they found, next slide, is a seal that has many different symbols. If you were to ask a person who understands Hebrew and who understands the Hebrew alphabet, because the Hebrew alphabet can be understood by pictographs. When you show this to them, they will tell you, oh, that's representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The bull, for example, represents Joseph. There's the lion of Judah. If you will show this to someone who knows Hebrew, they will tell you this is Israel. So they found a seal that contains Israel symbols or Hebrew symbols in it there in Avaris. Not only that, they also found a palace. Next slide. Ruins of a palace. This is a reconstruction, of course. Ruins of a palace. It is an Egyptian palace for a Semite official. The Semite official was not mentioned. When we say Semite, what is that? From the line of Shem, right? Hebrew. Hebrew. And so there was a special place in Avaris, a palace. So this official was a very popular one, pop, a powerful one, and had great authority. Who could that be? Could be Joseph, right? Of course, it doesn't say this is Joseph's palace, but there were 12 pillars, which probably stood for the 12 sons of Jacob. Not only that, in the backyard of this palace, you know what they found? Next slide. They found 12 tombs, 12 tombs in the backyard. And in those tombs, you know what else they found out? You know what, they, what else they found? Next slide. Weapons, which was Semitic in origin. It were, it, they were not Egyptian weapons, but they were Israeli weapons. These were the weapons that Levi and Simeon used to kill the people when they, when they uh, killed the entire city. Remember back, back in uh, Genesis, I forget which chapter, but they had weapons like this. And so many people are saying, this could be it. This is the palace. This is the, the city where Joseph, together with his brothers, actually became prosperous and became a mighty nation. And one other noteworthy thing to say about this place in Avarice. Remember I mentioned to you there were 12 tombs, right? One of the 12 tombs was a special tomb. Why? Next slide. Because it was a pyramid. And so this special tomb was for someone who was very special. Who do you think, whose tomb do you think that is? Could be Joseph, right? Because someone had to have higher ranking even though he is not Egyptian, even though he's Semite, he must be of high rank to have a place like that. And when they went to this place, you know what they also found out? Next slide, please. Between 1986 and 1988, Professor Biatok found the remains of a monumental statue that seems to have belonged to a non-Egyptian ruler of Avaris. Although only fragments remain, the archaeologists estimate the original size of the seated figure to be two meters high and 1.5 meters in depth, about one and a half times life size. Over the statue's right shoulder, you can still see his throw stick, which is the symbol of his rule. On the back, remarkably, as with the biblical Joseph, take note, you can still see evidence that this ruler was wearing a striped garment made up of at least three colors, black, red, and white. He was found in a tomb. This is how the remains of that statue looked like. Next slide. The statue with, broke, was, with face broken off. And look at the shoulder. You can see the coloring, right? You see it? Little coloring. Next slide. That's a, a reconstruction in 3D. Yeah. Who could that be? <laughs> who is the one who, who wore multicolored coat? Who is that? Could it be Joseph? Yeah. And so this is how they did a 3D rendering of the full statue. Next slide. So this tomb could have been whose? 
could have been Joseph. You know, if you want to learn more about the, the uh, fascinating artifacts and archaeological digs, which prove the events of Genesis and Exodus, I want you to look at the PatternsofEvidence.com. They have a lot of, they have a nice video there. It's really mind-boggling. But you know what? When they look, when they found this tomb, they found the statue. They found all the different artifacts that pinpoint the uh, the presence of Israeli people there. But there was one thing missing. <laughs> Next slide. The bones were there are no bones. There's no dead body. You know why? Do you know why? We'll find out next week in our next Bible study. We'll tell you why it's missing. Okay? So that's that. However, before we conclude, before we conclude, I just want to go back. There were two statements made by Jacob that I want you to really, really reflect upon. One of the statements that Jacob made was in Genesis 47, verse 9. This is what he said. Jacob replied, I have traveled this earth for 130 hard years. When you look at his life, right? I mean, we can probably say a lot of us can make the same conclusion. How many here will make a conclusion life is hard? I think a lot of people can make that conclusion. Next slide. Life is indeed hard. This is true. Perhaps this is the reason why, next slide, you look really old. Of course, this is just an artist's rendition of how he looked like. But if you live a hard life, you look really old, right? So life is hard. There's a reason why life is hard. Why? In the book of Isaiah 24, 5 to 6, the people have defiled the earth by breaking God's laws and by violating the covenant he made to last forever. So God has pronounced a curse on the earth. Its people are paying for what they have done. Fewer and fewer remain alive. The earth will crack and shatter and split open. The earth itself will stagger like a drunk, sway like a hut in a storm. The world is weighed down by its sins. It will collapse and never rise again. Why is it hard? Why is life hard and not easy? Because of sin. To summarize this passage, next slide, we can conclude. We are sinners or fallen people who live in a cursed world, a fallen world, filled with other fallen people. Because of this, guess what? Next slide. Life is hard. However, even though life is hard, next slide, life is worth living. You believe that? Life can be hard, but you can have a significant life. Life can be hard, but your life can count for something. When can we say life is truly worth living? Colossians chapter 2, 6 down to 7. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him and let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in truth, you, you, the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. When can we say our life is worth living? When we let our roots grow down into our Lord, Jesus Christ. Yes, life is hard, but Christ is right there. When life becomes too tough for us to bear, we need to develop deep roots in our Lord, Jesus Christ. Build your life upon Christ. Let your lives be built on Him. Why must we do this? Colossians 3, 1 down to 4, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Yes, life is hard, but your real life. Bible says your real life is the life that you share with Christ, Jesus. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So when we are perplexed by life's problems, when we feel overwhelmed by the hardships of life, brethren, Bible says, think about the things of heaven. Why? Because that's where your real life will begin, when we will share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Jacob says to Pharaoh, life is hard we agree with that but that's not the only thing that J jacob said 
what did he also say? Genesis 46, 29 to 30, Joseph prepared his chariot, traveled to Goshen to meet his father Jacob. When, J uh, when Joseph arrived, he embraced his father and wept, holding him for a long time. Finally, Jacob said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen your face again and know you are still alive. You know, brothers and sisters, when we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we too will be able to say, now I'm ready to die. You know, there are people who are afraid of death. People who are afraid of death, they still have not truly known the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you know Christ, when you have a de uh, develop a deep fellowship with Christ, when you have learned to dig your roots deep into the Lord Jesus Christ, you will no longer be afraid of death. And this is why we urge you, we encourage you, brethren, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Because the more you know the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you will be able to say, now I'm ready to die. I want you to take a look at Jacob. He lived a hard life. He lost, he thought he lost his son, Joseph, right? And he wept, he cried, he mourned, and he would not be comforted. He thought he would lose Benjamin. He thought he would lose all of his sons. He, left, he lived and endured so much pain. I don't know about you, but can you imagine I want you to put yourself in Jacob's shoes. What if you were Jacob right there, and all of a sudden you see Joseph, who you thought was dead long, long ago, and he's right there, and you're embracing him. You thought he was dead, now he is alive. How do you think you're going to feel? He wept. What kind of tears did he weep? What kind of tears did he cry? Tears of? joy. You know who planned this all along? Who was it? It was God. It was God. The worst that could have happened, God caused to work together for what? For good. God prepared this for his people. He loved Jacob. He did. That's why he orchestrated all the different events to work together for this, for this event. He was so filled with joy. He cried tears of joy. You know, God prepared this event. What has also God prepared? 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Can you imagine the reunion in heaven, right? When the people that we love, that have passed on, we're going to see them again in heaven. And this time, no one can take away our joy, a permanent place to live. Wouldn't you want to see the people that you love in that place? You know, brothers and sisters, if God did that for Joseph, if that was within the capacity for God to be able to put together, how much more? What lies ahead of us? The holy city that God is preparing. The Bible says no mind can even imagine what God is preparing for his people. This is why, brethren, when we get there, we're going to be surprised with joy. Just like Jacob when he sees Joseph. Cannot believe it. You cannot help but weep because you are crying tears of joy. There in the kingdom of heaven, we're going to feel the same way. And this is what the Apostle John wants us to remember always. In the final passage of our studies, 1 John 3, 1 to 2, see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. That is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. You know, the Father is telling us He loves us, and because of this, He's preparing a place for us. Not only is, is He preparing a place for us, He is preparing us. 
is going to transform and change our being and our life. We don't exactly know how that's going to work. Because Apostle John says, yes, we are children of God, but it has not yet been shown to us what we will be like. But the one thing we know is this. We will be like who? We will be like our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why, brothers and sisters, life is hard. But remember what the Bible says. When we share in the suffering of Christ, we will share in the glory of Christ. And so endure it. Embrace it. Appreciate it. That you are a participant of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. That one day we will share in the glory of our Messiah. Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, thank you so much for your revelation today. Indeed, life is hard. But if we can only see your glorious plan, the happy ending that you intend for your people, we know we shall rejoice because you always do what is best for all of us. We cannot possibly imagine what you are preparing for. We cannot possibly imagine what you have in store for your people when you will finally send your beloved son. Thank you, Father, because you are thinking of us. Thank you for lavishing upon us the great love that we enjoy. Thank you, Father, for giving us strength to endure life's suffering. We know that you are making us stronger. Teach us to have faith and to believe and to hold on to your many promises. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you. Thank you so much because we firmly believe everything happening in our life. We can always remember you, that we share in your sufferings. And through this, we truly are yoked with you. Amen. May you please accept us every day. Strengthen our faith, O oh Lord. Comfort those who are in pain. And may you help us to endure until the end. Father, we believe that you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people throughout the world. We ask everything, O oh Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.